you've got a Bible, turn to 2 Samuel, okay? 2 Samuel. And uh, while everybody's getting unhooked and everything, let me go ahead and tell you about this. Uh, next Sunday is our last beach baptism, right? And of the year, okay, we'll have another, we won't have another one until May. And so, uh, and so I encourage you to come. Uh, it's just really, a, it is one of the coolest things we do, by the way. It is really a cool thing to go out to the beach, you know, as people are following, you know, the Lord in, 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 in baptism. And obviously, if you want to sign up, you need to be baptized. Uh, you can sign up today. Uh, you'll see them in the, in the, at the table in the hall. So again, if you've got a Bible ticket, 2 Samuel, you can go to John 4, too. We'll go between those two. And we have been just kind of a series. This is a, this is a really, really powerful, not because I'm sharing it, but it's a powerful thing, and it's not always easy uh, to talk about. Today is definitely not politically correct, but it's a look at yourself, right? The world around you is trying to teach you to fall in love with yourself, and, um, and that is just not the characteristic that the Scripture says is the way to, to be free. Uh, you'll see some of those. But we started a couple of weeks ago with this thought, right? The strength to overcome. And it's kind of a nebulous title until you hear me use it several times in, in the context of what we're talking about. But <clears throat> we talked about a couple of weeks ago, this, this thing that's in all of us, this drive. Uh, God made you to have a relationship with him. He's put eternity in your heart. Therefore, there's nothing temporary that's ever going to fill that place in your life. That's called the law of diminishing returns. Therefore, we go running after this, and it's cool for a while. It may last for a while that it really seems, yeah, man, this is awesome. This is what I'm going to do. But before long, the, it's not as cool as it was. And before long, it's like, yeah, this isn't it. i got to try something else. And people go from thing to thing to thing to thing, trying to find something to fill that place in here. And uh, Solomon understood it well. In fact, he, he wrote a whole book of the Bible about it. It's a little fatalistic, right? It's definitely depressing, but it's called Ecclesiastes. And he just kind of came up with there isn't anything. And so that's what we talked about a couple of weeks ago. Well, then how do you get there? Because we've, we've learned from the Bible, we've learned from, obviously, Jesus' own sayings. He said, you know, come, you know, you know I'm, I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly. Come to, he says, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. And a lot of times people, when they have the courage, they raise their hand and say, you know, Jeff, where, <laughs> where does that line form? I want to get in that line. I want to get in that abundant life line. Where, where is that? I, I haven't gotten there yet. And I want to get in the rest line because there's a difference. We talked, this is still review. There's a, there's a difference between being free and living that way, right? And if you have been free because you put your faith and trust in Christ, doesn't, Christ doesn't necessarily mean you're living that way. It's kind of like I talked about the dog chained up in the backyard, right? And for years, it's had this little circle, this little radius, 10 foot radius. And then you take the chain off after years and years and years and the, and the dog won't for a while anyway, won't ever leave the little circle because while he is free, he hasn't learned yet to live that way. Lots of people. In fact, I can, I'm just being honest. I come into very contact with very few people that learn to experience the freedom God has for you. 
right? That's why we call it strength to overcome the things in our life that, that come across our path and different things like that. So, so that's the thought. Last week, we, I wanted to share with you the first thing. In fact, uh, in fact, last week, I took the entire time just to share with you a look at yourself. I'm talking the entire time. And I shared it in three or four different ways because I just wanted you to get this thought. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12, Paul is saying that all things are lawful to me. This is, I can do, what, I can do whatever I want. It's what Paul says. He says, all things are not helpful or expedient. That is, they're not what's best for me. He says, all things are lawful to me. Now, here's the thought. But I am not going to be dominated by anything. I like the way the old NIV put it. I'm not going to be mastered. I'm not going to let anything control me again. That is, I'm not going to let anything get their hooks in me and, and, uh, and obviously dictate to me. You know, it's so funny because, you know, people talk about things that, you know, addictions or other things. Most of the time, we'd only talk about those things that are, you know, that are, are very harmful, you know, or destructive. But Paul is saying not just the things that are destructive, but it's anything that I'm not going to let anything control me. Why? Because I'm free. I'm just not going to let it happen. So it's an incredible thing. This is what we're, what we're talking about. So we, we started off last week, and I wanted to talk to you about how, how do you get there? What does that even look like? And we started off with G, a, a, a sermon that Jesus did. It's, uh, it's found in, uh, in Matthew chapter 5. This is still just a little bit of review because i got to get you back to where we were. And, um, and basically the thought was, this first thing that Jesus said on this subject, he said this, in verse 3, chapter 5, verse 3, he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, I spent the entire time last week explaining that term, poor in spirit, because I wanted you to get it. And so I'm going to cover it just again, and then we're going to finish, we're going to finish the rest of this. By the way, <laughs> This today is not really for the faint of heart. Um, today is for the courageous, because this is not always an easy thing to do. Um, you'll, you'll see what I mean by that. I, I had no idea, you know, when I'm putting this together, I have no idea that it'd be as hard-hitting as it is, it is. But it is, it's, a, it's got a real feel to it. No more fantasy. No more saying that it's not, that's not what is really there, right? No pink elephant in the room. This is just reality stuff here. And, um, and you'll see what I mean, because that's who Jesus was. That's why he said stuff like you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. doesn't necessarily mean it's not going to be painful at times, but it will, it will lead you to freedom. You'll see it today. So last week we talked about the definition of poor. The word poor means bankrupt, Okay? Bankrupt in and of yourself. Bankrupt in spirit. That means destitute. That means you don't have anything there that, that, can, that can save yourself. Okay? And so we spent the entire time talking about it. You know, I even had a chicken up here last week. I'll do most anything if I think it'll help you understand. I mean, I know, right? Just, it's just, I'm just weird that way. All right. We talked about, obviously, the, the difference of what is a poor in spirit. 
Um, we talked, we gave you the parable that Jesus told about the tax collector and the Pharisee. You know, the Pharisee was highly religious, a very much of a moral uh, lifestyle, lived a very moral lifestyle. Tax collector was the exact opposite, lived a very immoral lifestyle. And both of them came to the temple. But pride blinded the Pharisee. All he could talk about was himself and how good he was and what he was trying to do and what he'd achieved. See, the tax collector came in knowing he was bankrupt. See, they were both bankrupt. Because the scriptures teach us that pride smells worse to God than anything else. But here's here's the key. He couldn't see himself. He was blind to himself. Therefore, he never saw his need. The tax collector did. Remember? Said he stood over to the side and he wouldn't even look at, at heaven. He said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And I want you to know, Jesus said that guy went home right with God. The Pharisee went home not right with God. And he was a moral, religious guy. So I want you to get this poor in spirit thought, right? And I only want you to get it because I think you understand that concept is, is that it's knowing that you're bankrupt that shows your need and it sends you somewhere to find, to get that need met, which is pretty incredible to think about. It'll make, it'll make a lot more sense in just a minute. Uh, number two, number two. Number one was last week, so we're finished with all the review stuff. All right, here we go. It says, then why is it first? Because until you can see it, then you will never see the need for who Christ is and what he came to do. This is why our culture has turned away from the things of God. Because they don't think they need it. Right? They become blind to themselves. They think they're basically good, right? I mean, Martha and I had a great conversation about this, and she has a connection group class, but I'm sure many of you are in her, are in her class. And, and she, she went on the you know, line to look at all this stuff. And, and for some of you, this is going to seem wrong. But all of this stuff that says, you know, believe in yourself. Okay. I won't be ugly, but how's that working out for you? Because the scripture says you're bankrupt. So if you believe in yourself, I'm not sure you're going to find what you're looking for, right? And yet that's the whole mentality of the world around you, right? Is that all the answers you need are found in yourself. That's just not the truth. If that was the truth then you'd start finding some peace and stuff in here. That's why the scripture says you're bankrupt. Because when you're bankrupt in and of yourself and you see it, it drives you to the one who will give you the strength to overcome. It's an incredible thing to think about. But it is countercultural. You know, it's much easier to live in a fantasy world that there's not any problems, right? And I don't have, you know, there's no, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever. You know, uh, <laughs> you know, the mirror is an amazing thing, right? You know, that right there just nauseates me, <laughs> all right? I have to look at it every week, all right? 
Now, why? Because it reminds me that I still don't look like I did when I was 25. Right? Now, if some of you are 25, just wait. You'll get a good look here in about 20 years, and you'll go, ah, I'd rather not know. And you know what that's called? The psychologist calls it denial. But in reality, it's a failure to see the truth, the truth of who I really am. That's why Jesus said, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. That is, blessed are those who can actually see it. If you can ever truly see yourself, as painful as it might be, it does lead to freedom. You'll know the truth, the truth will set you free. It's not just some little colloquialism that we spout. It is the truth. So there's powerful things in this, but it doesn't mean it's always easy. It doesn't mean it's for the faint of heart. I'm telling you, if you're looking for real, today is as real as it's going to get. In fact, it may be, okay, Jeff, that's a little too real, okay? But I'm going to give you two illustrations of when God turned a mirror around and let a couple of people in the scriptures see themselves. Now, it, had, it was painful, but it had tremendous impact. And you'll even see a little bit today of how it had impact. Okay, the first one uh, is found in 2 Samuel chapter 12 and verse 1. Now, this is the story of David. I'm going to have to give you background. I'm not just going to read chapter 11. If you want to go back and reread it, knock yourself out. But let me just kind of tell you what happened in chapter 11. Now, David was king, okay, of Israel. He was a powerful man. And to this point in his life, he was one of the most powerful men. And, um, and it says in chapter 11, it says, at the time when kings went forth to battle, David stayed in Jerusalem. So he was supposed to be out, you know, defending and being who he was supposed to be, but he decided to stay in Jerusalem. So it put him at the wrong place at the wrong time. Sometimes we think, well, that's not that big a deal. Well, when you're not where you're supposed to be, then you're usually where you're not supposed to be. Okay, you can write that down and say, I said that. Okay, because that, you know, profound, right? But that's where David, David's not where he's supposed to be. So what happens is he gets up one night, it's all there in chapter 11, and he leans over his kind of portico, his, his balcony of his palace, and he looks down and he sees a girl taking a bath. Okay, now my bet is she didn't have any clothes on. That's just a thought, because I'm smart like that. And so he looks down, he sees this girl taking a bath, and she's beautiful. The scripture says she's beautiful to look on. And so he looks and, he's, and, and lust takes over, right? And since he has the power to do being king, he sends for her, right? Now this, this girl's married to one of his most faithful generals. The general's name was Uriah. In fact, we find out in scriptures, there's a list of David's mighty men, that is the ones he trusted the most, and Uriah was on the list. But he was king, he could do whatever he wanted to do. And so he sends for this girl, and they have sex, obviously, and he sends her back, and then over the weeks, you know, David gets a, a note her name is Bathsheba, right? And I don't think it had anything to do with the bath, right? All right? But I don't know. You have to look it up. All right. But he gets a note from her. It says, you know, Dad, I got bad news. 
I'm, I'm pregnant. After one time, at least one time we know about, and we got a problem. You know, she's going to get, she's going to get punished. He can't because kings can't get punished because they don't have to follow the, the law. They are the law, right? So David didn't have any problem, but she, she, was, she would have been executed for being unfaithful to her husband away at war, coming up pregnant, right? And so David's got to do something. So he covers it up or tries to cover it up. And his first attempt was he brings Uriah back from the battle. Hey, Uriah, you know, he's such a hypocrite. You know what, you know what a hypocrite is? A hypocrite is someone who judges someone else and fails to be able to see themselves. And it's happened to all of us. In fact, if you're one of these that always accuses other people of being hypocrites, I don't want to be ugly, but you probably are the biggest one yourself. I mean, I'm sorry, but when you see it in others, usually you can't see it in yourself. But when you get a good look at yourself, you're not near as judgmental of others. How can you say that, Jeff? Well, take a look at David. To me, he's one of the most godly people who ever lived. He was blind to himself. So anyway, he sends for Uriah, and oh, Uriah has the battle going. He doesn't care, right? It's all there in chapter 11. You can read it. And so what does he do? He, he gets Uriah drunk, and he sends Uriah home to be with his wife, right? Because he figures if he can get her home to be with him, then it'll look like she's expecting because, you know, y'all get that, right? If you don't get that, ask your parents. So, so that's, what, that's, that's how it happened, right? But Uriah is this real gung-ho faithful soldier. And he says, if my, if my men can't be with their wives, then I'm not going to be with mine. So David's, he, he can't cover it up. So he sends a note back with Uriah to the commanding general, Joab, and says, I want you to put this guy up at the front. And I want you to call a retreat without telling him. And they, everybody fell back and he got left out in the middle and got cut down. And... David gets the news, Uriah's dead in battle, and so he grabs up Bathsheba, brings her to the palace, marries her, and it looks like everything's fine. But the very last verse of chapter 11 says this, but the thing that David did displeased the Lord. You see, when you're his, it's different than all the other people right? This was not an uncommon practice for kings of that day. It just wasn't. But when you're David, you're supposed to be different. So David lives with this for a year, and it really is not even a problem. Why? Because he's blind to himself. He's probably justified it to himself by saying, you know, well, you know, oh, I'm a whole lot better than most of the other kings around here, right? And in reality, I do a whole lot of good, and I'm telling you, it's, it's real easy to be hypocritical because you can't see yourself, you know? Y'all know what I'm saying. You can't see that, but you can see everybody else. And so, so what happens? God sends David a mirror bearer. You know what a mirror bearer is? 
is someone who comes up to you and turns the mirror around and lets you see yourself. And it is not a fun process. It's powerful, but it's not fun. That's why people don't do it. That's why people would rather, uh, would rather live in their own little worlds of denial, right? Don't mess up Jeff world. I have set Jeff world up. I mean, it's not real, but I've set it up like I like it. So do not blow the fantasy for me, right? But if you want reality, if you want truth and freedom, because some people are locked in their own jail cell of their own fantasy. It's not real, but it is a jail cell. Interesting, isn't it? So what happened? Well, God sent a mirror bearer. And here's the account of it. Chapter 12, verse 1. And the Lord sent Nathan to David. Okay? So the guy's name was Nathan. The mirror bearer was Nathan. Now, remember that David is totally blind to himself. And he came to him, and this is what... You know, because there's protocol coming to the king. You know, Nathan comes in and, oh, king, you know, I have a, you know, an issue in the kingdom and I need you to make a judgment. So he starts going down this thought and he said, he said, he came to him and here's what he said. He said, there were two men in a certain city of your kingdom, David. One was rich and the other one was poor. Okay. And the rich man had lots of flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he'd bought. And he brought it up, and, he, and it grew up with him and his children. So this was like a family pet. In fact, more than a pet, right? And basically it says it used to eat, you know, of his morsel and drink of his cup and lie in his arms. And it was like a daughter to him. And then there was a traveler that came to visit the rich man. And the rich man was unwilling to use one of his own flocks to feed this traveler. So he went down and he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who'd come to him. He looks at him and says, David, what do you think? You see, when you're blind to yourself, hypocrisy is really easy. Because David got upset. And he delivered a, it says David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, this man deserves to die. Right? He has to repay fourfold because he didn't have, because he didn't have any pity. Verse seven, the mirror is turned around. And I said, David, you're the guy. Right? It's easiest to be blind to ourselves, But those who want to live in freedom have the courage to take a look in the mirror and see what they see. But it is not an easy thing to do. Not an easy thing to do. Because when you're David, what happens a lot of times when people brings, bring a mirror, they get upset with the mirror bearer. Who do you think you are? Do you know how much good I have done? For, and then start recounting, oh, you know, get this man out of here. I don't want to see him anymore. So you start banishing everybody that might tell you who you are. And I only have the people in Jeff world that play along with the fantasy. Right? 
Or, you know, like I said before, he just says, you know, yeah, I kind of know that happened, but do you realize how bad kings are? And I am better than most of all of them, right? But that's what hypocrisy does. That's what failure to see yourself does. And when you get a chance to look at the mirror, what do you do? How you respond is going to say a whole lot about you and me. By the way, let me give you the caveat here. Guys, I'm not up here just spouting this stuff like I have it all together. I'm just a fellow struggler like you. You're right. I'm just a fellow struggler that's trying his hardest to make sure that I'll not only look at that, but I keep a look. It's kind of like I keep in touch with who I really am because it was the reason Jesus died if you have ears to hear today. So you're the guy. And then Nathan starts saying, thus saith the Lord, I anointed you king over Israel when you were a nobody. You were tending sheep and writing poetry. And I picked you up and I made you king. And I blessed you, blessed you, blessed you. You can read the rest of it. I'm kind of adding to it a little, not adding to, but just kind of going through it quick. I... I did all these things, all these things, all these things, protected you and gave you, gave you, gave you, gave you, blessed you, blessed you, blessed you. And if you'd have wanted more, all you had to do is ask. So I can't believe that you would do something like this. So David's response is critical. And guys, I just want you to hear it. Because if you take a look on down, he confessed it. He said, you're exactly right. I am the man. If you take a look on down, it says, I have sinned against the Lord. You see, guys, so many of us in the room, I have great compassion for people who have blown it. I don't have condemnation for you at all. I have found people that get a good look in the mirror don't have condemnation for other people, at least those who see the mirror, right? Only compassion. But here's the thought. Believe it or not, this incident, as horrible as it was, did not define who David was. When you think of David today, you don't think of adulterer and murderer. You think of somebody that the Bible itself says as a man after God's own heart. He wrote half of the Psalms. I mean, here was a guy that was in the direct line of Christ. But what he did do, he did look in the mirror and he made it right. He found the strength to overcome. Now you understand why I've titled this. How do you get past those things? Because a lot of the things we have to overcome in our life have nothing to do with our bad decisions. They're just hurricanes that come through, right? Not our problem, not our fault, but still have to overcome. Where do you find the strength? to do those things. It's interesting. When you first see that you don't have the strength in yourself, you'll go to him. Psalm 51 is one of the greatest psalms there is, but David pours out his heart to God over his own mess-ups, sin, whatever you want to call it. There's a couple of verses that said, create in me, it's just, create in me a clean heart, oh God. It's almost like 
Lord, I can't get this anywhere else. I can bury it. I can deny that it happened. I can deny that it's that big a deal, but it still follows me around and the tape's still playing my brain. Where are you going to find the strength to overcome those things? I tell you, it didn't define who David was. Read Psalm 51. It's an incredible thing. David begged, he begged to the Lord, restore to me the joy of my salvation. He lost it. But I found it was interesting in that whole year that he denied there was a problem, there didn't seem to be a problem, right? Until, he, until the mirror. Now, there always was a problem. He just couldn't see it. As painful as it may be, right? One of the greatest things that God can do is allow you to see you, right? Allow you to see yourself. So much comes from it. So much good comes from it, right? Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13. For my people have committed two evils, Jeremiah says, for they have forsaken me, the fountain of living water, okay? And they've hewn out cisterns for themselves that can't hold water. So what does that mean? Well, it basically means this, is that I've got what they need, but they figured now that they don't need me. They're going to go figure it out for themselves. So they're going to go, they're going to go dig their own wells when I have exactly what they need, which gives you a good look at the second thing I want to share with you in John chapter four. Here's the second illustration of the mirror. And it's the woman at the well. I have used this many times. I think I could do an entire series on the woman at the well, like eight weeks and never hit the same subject. It is just that powerful of a, of, of a chapter. But I'm only going to share with you really the, the mirror part. I just want you to see it. So now when Jesus had learned, okay, well, let's skip down to verse 4. Skip down to verse 4. Uh, chapter, uh, chapter, uh, chapter 4 and verse 4. It says this. It says that, uh, and, he had, and, and he had to pass through Samaria. Just giving you a little recap. Samaria was the country, okay, that was, were half-breeds. They were half-Jewish and half-Gentile. And the purely Jewish blood, if you will, they really looked down on the Samaritans. So much so that a lot of times they wouldn't even go in their country. But Jesus, on purpose, went that direction. So he said, he came to Samaria in the town of Sychar, uh, and, uh, and near the field that Jacob uh, had given to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. So, J uh, so Jesus, wearied as he was from the journey, was sitting beside the well, and it was about the sixth hour. That's noon. And the woman came from Samaria to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. So she's pretty amazed that this Jewish man would ask her for a drink because the Jewish people wouldn't even drink from the same cup as the Samaritans. So she just asked him a simple question. And Jesus shares something with, with her. He said, so if you knew, Jesus answered her, so if you knew the gift of God and who it is that's talking with you, right? You would ask him, give me a drink. And he would have given you living water. Now see, if you understand the Jeremiah passage we just talked about, there's this picture and Jesus is using or making a play on the thought of thirst, right? 
He was making a play on the thought of thirst, physical thirst. And Jesus takes it to, a new, to another level, which she's blind to. She doesn't see it. But he's about to turn the mirror around so she can see. Jesus himself is going to turn the mirror around so she can see. Well, the woman didn't get it. She said, sir, okay, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep, and where are you going to get this living water, right? And uh, are you greater? And she goes on, are you greater than our father Jacob, you know, and who gave us this well? And he drank from it himself, and as did the sons and his, you know, his livestock. And Jesus said to her, now, Jesus is trying to reveal to her what he's talking about. She's not ever going to get it. Why? Because she's blind to it and to herself. Jesus said, everybody who drinks this water is going to get thirsty again. Well, yeah, but isn't that the natural way? But he's not talking about physical thirst. So what is it that you're looking for? The great question is, are you thirsty? And a lot of times people are blind, like this woman is. They're blind to just how thirsty they really are. So he goes on to say, if you drink the water I give... You're not ever going to be thirsty again. The water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Wow. And the woman doesn't get it. Looks like a lot of people wouldn't get it. Sir, give me that water so that I'm not going to be thirsty and I don't have to keep coming here and drawing water. Right? So Jesus turns the mirror around to get her in touch with her thirst. And anybody can do this like Jesus. And so he turns the mirror around and he says, can you go call your husband? And she says, well, I don't have a husband. And then Jesus says, well, that's right. When you said I don't have a husband, because you've had five. And that the guy you're living with now is not even your husband. So at least what you said is true. Now, Is Jesus trying to embarrass this girl? Is he trying to condemn her? No. She's already bankrupt. Like all of us. Right? What's he trying to do? He's trying to get her in touch with her thirst. He's letting her see that, ma'am, what you're doing is drinking salt water. You are counting on relationships with men to fill that need in your life. And when one doesn't do it, then you throw him away and you find another. And when that one doesn't do it, you throw him away and you find another. And you're not ever going to find what you're looking for. You see, some people buy into the myth that if you find this soulmate that's going to meet every... It ain't possible, right? Well, I just, he just treats me like such a queen. Well, that ain't going to last long. <laughs> number one, he doesn't have what it takes. And number two, your neediness hole is just going to get bigger. And he won't be able to fill it. Why? Because relationships with men or women, whoever you might be, it's, it doesn't have what it takes to fill that need. And he's trying to get her in touch with she's going to the wrong well to get what she's looking for. 
Some of the best marriages I know are when neither one are counting on the other one to come through for all their needs. That's why most marriages are two ticks and no dog. Does that make sense to you? I know it's a little gross. It's a Tennessee expression. But, but you understand what I'm saying. Why? Because that other person doesn't have it. It's an incredible and I'm not just, And that's just one little area. It just happens to be this woman's area. And Jesus gets her in touch with that look. And she sees it. And again, you, she starts to argue religion, and Jesus gets her off that page and says, oh, come on, we're not talking about where you worship or how you worship. We're talking about, do you have a relationship with God that's made possible because of who Christ is? And he reveals that, and she puts her faith and trust in him. Her life has changed. She goes running to sidecar and tells everybody and brings them all back because it's so changed in a short time who she was. And Jesus stayed several, several days there telling them. It's an incredible thing to think about. Wow. So, but it's not pleasant, is it? Okay, it's not pleasant, but... But one of the greatest things that you can find out is to see yourself. Because you couldn't see it, not at first. So I don't know, it's a powerful... To me, that's a powerful thing to think on when you see it. And so I'm, I'm about, to, about to be done, but I want to, I want to move on past. I want to give you a few things. And, um, and, then, and then the band's going to do another song, and then I, I'll, I'll wrap us up. But, but number three, not just why is it first. Because until you see your need, until you see yourself, you don't see anything. Right? Number three. How do you become poor in spirit? Um, things you need, need to be able to see, okay? And these are just some lists that we're going to hit in weeks to come. I just want to give them to you today. Things that you would say I need to be able to seek, to find this. Number one is taking your eyes off of yourself, right? Spending time with God. I found that those who spend time with God, I don't know, God usually gives them an ability or at least a desire to know him. Well, how do you spend time with God in his word and prayer? You know, spending time around his things, right? Number two is starving your own pride. Pride says, I don't need anybody. I'm self-sufficient. It's just not the truth. But sometimes we feel that way, or sometimes I don't need anybody. And that the only person I want to rely on is myself. And, and, you know, you can do anything you want to do if you put your mind to it. And all of the other things that the world tells you, right? Believe in yourself. Believe in yourself. Well, that's the exact opposite of the scripture, right? And we wonder why so many believers are not living in the freedom God's called them to live in. Because while they are free, they're still living in the old slavery rules. And trust myself. It's hard to trust yourself if the Bible says you're bankrupt, right? Well, I don't think I'm bankrupt. Well, then that's kind of like the Pharisee. Right? Blind to himself. Interesting. Number three, seek God for it. I promise you. By the way, this is a dangerous prayer. Lord, open my eyes and let me see myself. I dare you to pray it. I dare you to pray it. But buckle up if you do. Because God is going to tell you. Why? Because he wants you to know. 
Because what that does is it drives you to him and it teaches you to trust him, right? When the disciples were on the storm, on, in the boat in the storm, they couldn't help themselves. They trusted Christ. It taught them to trust him. When you, see, when you see those things, it teaches you to trust him. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. How do you have faith? First of all, see who you are. And then faith won't be a problem. Lord, I need you, right? If you get a good look at who you are. Number four, realize several things. You are powerless to change your past. You know, I think, I think one of the things that enslaves us the most are our past mess-ups and our past bad decisions, or maybe even the past, we're gonna talk more about this when it come, or the past of things that people have done to us. But I want you to know that even the past, it does not have to rule you. Strength overcome, you get what I'm saying? This is not just some, no. It's a picture, it's a looking. And it's not an easy road, but it is a road that leads to freedom. You'll know the truth, truth will set you free. It's a pretty amazing thought, right? But you're not gonna find the strength and power in yourself. If you would, you would've already gotten by it, right? Number two, you're powerless to control yourself and other people, right? It's gotta get to the point where, Lord, I gotta trust you in this one, right? Number three, you're, over, you're, you're powerless. If some of you are having struggles or things in your life that get the best of you, whatever they might be, you, you can't do those things. But he's promised to give you the strength to overcome if you trust him for it. Interesting, huh? It's a whole new understanding of faith when you first get a look at who you are. Right? Anytime anybody says, well, how do you have faith? They're just immature enough not to have realized who they are yet. Right? Characteristics of being poor in spirit. You'll begin to lose your self-preoccupation. Our culture is totally preoccupied with self. But when somebody sees themselves, they go to God, God gives them the strength, and they lose that preoccupation. I won't say lose it. It doesn't have near the hold over them, right? All right number two, you'll begin to stop complaining about life circumstances. Once again, guys, I'm not the master here. I almost feel hypocritical teaching these things to you. These are things I still work through. Sometimes I do well, sometimes I don't. But it's really easy to start complaining, right? Real easy. Interesting. Number four, you'll just naturally pray more. When you see how needy you are, prayer will be something that comes naturally. You won't have to say, I gotta go pray. I've made a commitment, I'm gonna pray more. No, 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 when you get a good look, brother, you won't have a problem doing that. Does that make sense? Like David was in Psalm 51. Interesting. Number five, finally. You will naturally begin to be a more grateful person. I've actually had believers say to me, well, I don't have anything to be grateful for. That's someone who hasn't been able to see themselves in a long time that can make that statement. Does that make sense? Because when you see who you really are and you understand who God is and what he did for you at the cross, and when you really get a good look at all those things, the strength to overcome, gratefulness will ooze out of your pores. It'll just be who you become. Why? Naturally, you don't have to try. Why? Because you're living it. You're seeing it and living it. Tell you what, I was never more grateful in all of my life than for what he did for me.
Sometimes I lose that gratefulness when I look around me and think, well, you know, I, I, stupid stuff. I don't even have this. Can I have, I'd love to have this. Why don't you give this to me? And you get into all this stuff that don't matter. And when you keep the right perspective, those things don't have their control over you. They're hooks in you. That's why we're talking about freedom. Imagine having anything but not being controlled by anything. That is an amazing thing. That's what Paul meant by all things are lawful for me, but I'm not going to be mastered by anything. Incredible. I'm going to close in just a minute. I'm going to ask the band if you guys come on up. They have a song that they picked out for today. I want you to listen to the lyrics as they sing it, and then I'll come back up and close this. But I want you to think on this, because this is the first step. This is the first thing to understanding what it means to live in the freedom he's given to me. Not letting things in my life get their getting control over me. And I just think it to be a powerful thing. There is no, there is nothing more compelling. Hear me. There's nothing more compelling than when somebody lives in freedom. We have a country that everybody else in the world is dying, they're dying to get here. They're dying to, for us to let them in. Why? Because you and I live in physical freedom. But if you'll learn to live in the freedom that Christ has already bought for you, there'll be no greater light for the gospel of Christ than that.